Good morning, University Presbyterian Church. My name is John Downs. I'm the youth director here. And it is my privilege and joy to get to share God's word with you today. Um, because Pastor Matt and Pastor Michael are gone at the marriage conference, uh, you get me instead. And we are also taking a brief interlude from our series, My Life is Not My Own. Last week, Matt preached on uh, My Life is Not My Own Worship. And next week, he's going to preach on My Life is Not My Own Community. And so in the meantime, we will be learning from First Peter. The title of this sermon is Reasons for Rejoicing. And the reason I chose this text is because uh, this is what the youth ministry is teaching through. And so you get what they get. Uh, and the second reason why I am delighted to preach through this is because First Peter is this book. It's this letter that opens up with some real tension and some real grit. Um, it's written to the elect exiles of the dispersion. And so these readers were people in this tension of being elect on the one hand. They're chosen by God. But on the other hand, they are exiles, not belonging either spiritually or culturally where they lived. And so Peter writes to them, exhorting them to rejoice in the midst of all that. And I want to, to draw your attention to two reasons that Peter calls them to rejoice um, because God does two things. God, one, conceives their salvation. And the second reason we can rejoice is because God completes our salvation. And so despite the tension, despite our suffering, despite the fact that we are exiles, we can have hope and rejoice through this tension. I'm going to read First Peter, actually starting in verse 1 through verse 9. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get to work. Hear now God's holy and inspired word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so great in mercy that, that you would cause us to be born again to this living hope through your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill us with your presence this morning. Give us the wisdom and discernment to understand your word, that we would be moved to know you more deeply, Jesus, love you more fiercely, and serve you with more joy because of your word and how you have worked in and through us. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this all in your holy and powerful name. Amen. When I need to learn something or prepare myself for something, quite often I go to youtube.com. Uh, when I learned to play guitar, 
my hippie friend Jeff showed me some chords and then I got on YouTube and started learning to play different songs. When I needed to learn how to change a light bulb in the headlight of my 1997 Honda Accord, I got on YouTube and I learned how. When I needed to learn how to skin a deer before I went deer hunting for the first time, I got on YouTube and learned how. But when Lindsay got pregnant, I could not get on YouTube and learn how to walk with her through the delivery room. Um, I, there was nothing I could do to prepare myself for the process of being with my wife as she gave birth. In fact, when we got there, and it was, and it was go time, I remember asking out loud to everyone there, where's the sheet? In the movies, there's a sheet, and it blocks you from the stuff that's happening that you might not want to be a part of, but there was no sheet. There was nothing I could do to prepare myself for that moment. But when that moment was over, everything was different. We had a child, and everything about my life changed. There was nothing I could do to prepare for that moment, and everything was glorious, despite the rigorous and intense process of being with Lindsay as she gave birth. And this is how Peter opens his letter, with a statement of reality that changes everything. In, in verse 3, Peter calls us to praise God. Blessed be God. Why? Because God has done this work of conceiving our salvation. God has conceived our salvation. He has caused us to be born again to this living hope. And therefore, he calls the readers of this letter to bless and praise God. And I have to think that Peter, when he instructed them to rejoice, to bless God, that he had this vision, this picture, the, the words of Jesus ringing in his ears from John chapter 3 when Nicodemus approaches Jesus by night and says, Teacher, what must I do to be a part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you have been born of the water and the spirit, you cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. And so Peter opens this letter praising God because he has conceived this new birth in these these exile Christians. And because of that, they have been born again through the living hope of Jesus. And they have been brought into the kingdom of God. So despite being exiles and not belonging where they are, they now belong in this new kingdom with this new Lord. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, why is this so important? Why is this so necessary? And the Bible is robustly clear that when you are born physically, you might be alive physically, but you are dead spiritually. In the Old Testament, David says in Psalm 51, I was conceived in sin. Right, And it's, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, that we are by nature children of wrath. And a little later on in that same book, he says that you were alienated from God without hope in this world because you are spiritually dead. And in this natural state, everyone turns to his own way, doing his own thing rather than the things that God calls us to, we learn from Isaiah 53. And no one seeks good, no one seeks God, Romans chapter 3, verse 11. And because of all of this, because we have gone our own way, because we are conceived in sin, because we do not seek God, the wages of that sin is death. What we earn in our natural state is death and wrath. But 
Peter draws our attention to this God who by his mercy gives us this new life through this rebirth, through the resurrection of his son Jesus. And so we can rejoice even though we are exiles. We can rejoice through the tension of life because God worked a miracle through us. You see, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or she. The old is gone. And behold, the new has come. And so when you experience this new birth, when the readers of this letter experience this new birth, they go through this great transition. And all of these things are beautiful and wondrous reasons to rejoice. They have, um, they go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive with the resurrected Christ. They go from being alienated from God to now being united to God through faith in Christ. They've gone from being children of wrath to now children of the living God on whom they call Father. They go from being without hope in the world to now having a living hope because of the wondrous redemptive work of Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, we can rejoice because God has caused us to be spiritually reborn into this new spiritual family with this new identity. And because of that, there's a few applications that I think we can flesh out from these verses. Um, Number one, you need to be humble before this God. You see, it's God's mercy, not your behavior, not your background, not your religious pedigree, not your memorized Bible verses, not your good attendance to Sunday school and church that make you a Christian. It is God's mercy to will and to work through you. You see, what does a baby do to get born? Nothing. The baby does nothing. The mom does all the work. And so at the end result, we need to thank the mom. I actually have a friend. I don't wish him happy birthday anymore. I send his mom a thank you text um, because he has rebuffed me so many times for wishing him a happy birthday. And so we need to rejoice in the one who actually authors life. Not us, but our father who his great mercy causes us to be born again. You should not be prideful about that which you don't earn. But how often, how often are we, evangelical Christians broadly, reformed Christians, I think more specifically, how often do we take the posture of the Pharisee who stood in the temple and said, thank God I'm not like this tax collector? How often do we take the posture of, thank God I'm not like that liberal? Thank God I'm not like that Catholic Thank God I'm not like that person who doesn't take doctrine seriously. How often do we take this arrogant posture because we are Christians that we are the ones that are deserving of glory and honor and praise? But brothers and sisters, when we approach our God rejoicing in him because he's conceived this new birth in us, we should be greatly humbled because it is God who worked in us, not ourselves. But at the same time, we should be humbled. We should also experience this, this great and incredible encouragement, right? It's very easy to go through the Christian life and be discouraged because of all the things that you think you should be doing, but you're not doing. When you let your circumstances or your behavior define you, it's really easy to get either puffed up with pride or crushed with despair. So if life is going good, you're giving your tithes, you're sending your kids to youth group, shameless plug, uh, you're coming to church every week, you're supporting missionaries, you're memorizing all your Bible, it's really easy 
to get in this posture of saying, well, I'm a pretty good Christian. I can do this. Yeah, I'm all right. But that's not a good posture to be in. And on the other hand, it's pretty easy to say, oh my gosh, I can, I barely got my kids out of the door this morning to go to church. Got candy in their hair. I haven't done my study for Sunday school this week. Not given a ton of money because stuff's not great at work. I'm not supporting any missionaries. I'm not doing enough for the kingdom. And you can get crushed with despair. So brothers and sisters, we need to rejoice in the fact that God conceives our salvation because your good track record, your good behavior, nor your negative behavior or negative track record contribute to that reality at all. It is simply God who works in and through you for his will and for his good pleasure. And so be humbled by the fact that God has conceived your salvation, but also be encouraged because it's not you, it's rather God. And lastly, if if you're not a Christian, I'm delighted you're here this morning, um, you also experience a tension in life. Whereas a Christian might experience the tension of, well, I belong to Jesus and I long to be with him and I don't want to have to slog through this thing called life anymore. You who are not a believer, you probably experience a tension of asking yourself the question, well, is is this all? Is there, is there not something more for me out there? Is Is this all that life amounts to waking up brushing your teeth, going to work, and coming home and watching Netflix? Is this all that there is in life? And so you might have this tension of, I want something more. And I'm here to tell you today that, oh, dear friend of mine, there is so much more offered to you through the gospel in Christ. And so would you come to the God who made you and designed you for himself? Would you repent of going your own way? And would you come to the one who calls you to be born again. Dear Christian, dear non-Christian friend, you too need to be humbled and encouraged by this reality and you should come to the God who has called you to himself. You see, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, Peter wants you to rejoice in this reality that God has made you into a new creation. He does not want you to rejoice in the fact that you are a certain place, that you're in a certain community, that you're in a certain tradition. He wants you to rejoice in the fact that you, by his mercy, have made you his child, that you have been born again into this new family. And for that, we rejoice. Um, But this reality is not without a small bit of irony. Um, you see, as glorious as this new birth is, you know, no birth has ever been painless. Um, because Peter, well, well, Peter is writing to these elect exiles, and they are actually, in fact, exiles because of the reality that they have been born again. They weren't exiles, and then they were born again, and it was all good. No, they were born again by the grace of God, and that is the thing that made them exiles in the first place. Because when you are born again, dear brothers and sisters, you have a new family. You have a new set of concerns. You have a new Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, you don't get to define what's good, right, and true for yourself anymore. And so there is a reality that if you are born again and you are made new, you might have a whole new set of concerns in your life. What are my coworkers going to think of me? Will my family think I'm a bigot because I think Jesus is the only way to heaven? Will my coworkers think I'm intolerant because I think homosexuality is a sin? Will I think, will they think that I'm unloving because I think the Bible is the only source of truth or what? So there is a tension. 
of being an elect exile. And Peter does not hide away from that fact. Jesus actually himself reminds us that in this world you will have trouble. But Jesus says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so Peter, despite this tension, calls us to rejoice in the fact that God has conceived in us this glorious salvation. And the thing is that God doesn't leave us there on our own. So as much as we rejoice in the fact that God has conceived our salvation, we can continue rejoicing in the fact that God actually actively works to complete our salvation. So that's point number two. God completes our salvation. And what I want to focus on with respect to that is in the text, there are two distinct senses in which God completes our salvation. There is a, a temporal sense, kind of on this earth and this life sense, but then there's also an eternal sense. In the temporal sense, we see that God doesn't cause you to be born again and stay a spiritual baby. God actually works in you to mature you, to grow you, to develop you as a spiritual being. Um, he completes us by way of maturing us. And then secondly, eternally, God completes your salvation because there's this end goal that God guards and keeps for you so that you actually get to spend eternity in glory with your father. And so in a temporal sense, we need to rejoice as exiles because God matures us through our suffering as we see. In verse 6, Peter calls the readers to rejoice in everything that he just talked about in verses 3 through 5. In this you rejoice, he says, and that is a subordinate clause saying, rejoice in all this stuff that I just talked about, that you have been born again to this living hope. And because of that, because you have been born again to this living hope, he goes on in a verse 7 saying, or in verse 6, if it is necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, prior to be born again, trials and suffering would have been just that. Trials and suffering, brief moments of unpleasantness that you would have just slogged through and got to on the other side. But because they have been born again, this suffering that they experience actually serves God's purposes, testing their faith, showing that it might be genuine, and maturing it, resulting in the praise and glory and honor of Jesus. Because your life is not your own. You do not get to define what your suffering is or what it does. Rather, we see here that God actually matures us and grows us through our suffering. And as he does this, Peter uses another example that I think is full of this kind of visceral tension. Um, it's a really intense example of metalworking. You see, crude ore is taken from the ground, and what you dig up from the ground, that's not gold. That's not worth anything until it's refined. It's burned up. The impurities are taken away, and so that what's left is this glorious, shiny, and expensive hunk of metal. And so these trials that you go through, if it is necessary, are the refining fires of God maturing you so that what is left at the end is shiny and beautiful and results in the praise and honor and glory of Jesus. And so you are purified, you are tested, you are brought to maturity 
because God is completing your salvation. And as glorious as this, as glory as this is, glorious as this is, there's an implicit warning. There's an implicit warning in this illustration. And that is, whatever's not genuine, whatever's not true, whatever's not good, that gets burned up. That gets taken away. And so you might be really good at playing Christian, showing up to church regularly, serving, giving money, doing all that stuff that you know you should be doing. But if your heart is not transformed, if you are not indeed born again to this living hope that is Jesus, all of that stuff, as good as it might be, that gets burned up in the final analysis. And so if you are not born again to a living hope, when you meet Jesus, it's not praise and glory and honor. It's, it's wrath. And so, dear friends, would you examine yourselves today? Would you examine if your heart is true and indeed born again so that you are following this living hope? And the implication within this of all the suffering that you go through is that your faith in maturing as a Christian is vastly more important to God than your comfort level at any given moment. You see, as precious and expensive and as nice as gold is, it's just a thing. And it will perish and it will burn away and it will be remade when Jesus comes back. But your faith, the faith that you bring to Jesus when he comes back and you meet him face to face, that is yours. And that actually results in praise and glory and honor as opposed to whatever you had in this life that just passes away. And so, brothers and sisters in Jesus, you can rejoice through your sufferings because you know that God is teaching you, God is maturing you, God is working in you to present you holy and blameless and mature before Jesus so that you receive the crown of glory and honor at the end. When you belong to God, you understand that he uses these sufferings to complete your salvation. But you also can know you can also rejoice in the fact that God completes your salvation in an eternal sense because the trajectory of your life is transformed when you are born again. Look with me again in verse 3. You are born again to something, to a living hope, the re- resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then going into verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, when you are born again, your life changes trajectory. You who were without hope, who were a child of wrath, you are born again to a new direction, a new destination. There is an eternal glory and an imperishable inheritance waiting for you in eternity with Jesus. You see, there was, in previous administrations of redemptive history in the Old Testament, uh, there was an inheritance that God's people were promised. God delivered his people from exile or from slavery in Egypt and he brought them out of Egypt and he promised them a land, a place that was flowing with milk and honey. And this was to be their inheritance. But as we know from the Bible, that inheritance was indeed defiled by sin. It passed away. It faded. It perished because God and his judgment against his people's sin kicked them out of the land. But we who are in Christ, 
We who are born again are given this new inheritance, this new eternal glory, this new thing that will not fade, that will not be defiled with sin, that will not ever perish because God has kept it for us. God has guarded it for us. God has promised it, be it must. We get eternal glory in the new heavens and the new earth. And because this is the guaranteed trajectory of our lives we can rejoice through all of the tension through all of the suffering through all of the sorrow because not only did we did we know that god will complete our salvation in this temporal sense but that ultimately in the final analysis no matter what if we belong to jesus we will be with god so christian if you are struggling with doubt with discouragement Press into the reality that you've been born again to this new family. You have a new hope, a new inheritance that is going to be yours no matter what. As we just sang, none of all his saints is lost. God does this. It is not your responsibility nor your job to fight and claw to make sure that you keep your salvation. There is no chance of that because we learn in verse 8 or verse 7 sorry no i'm wrong whatever uh though you have not seen him you love him though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls do you hear that do you hear that language of achievement of obtaining, you get it. If you have faith in Jesus, you get that outcome, the salvation of your souls, no matter what. There is nothing that will ever stand between you and your Savior because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Your end is certain. And so you can rejoice through whatever your current situation is because you know that you belong to Jesus, both in this life and in the next. So, friends, brothers and sisters, when you are getting squeezed in the tension, when you are experiencing the discomfort of being an exile, would you look to the one who bore your sins in his body on the tree, who paid for your sins by his death on the cross to cleanse you from the penalty of sin? Would you look to this one who did not just die on the cross but was resurrected in power so that you might learn to be more and more free from the power of sin? And would you look to this one who by his grace is returning and will make all things new so that there will be one day you are with him in glory, forever freed from even the very presence of sin because he has made all things new. Christians, brothers and sisters, we can rejoice because God has done this great work of both completing, conceiving our salvation, but also completing it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we delight that we belong to you. We are humbled that you have called us to yourself. And we rejoice with a joy inexpressible that you will finish this work, that you will see it through to completion, that you who began this thing will not let us be lost. So Father, we look to you. We confess that we have so often turned to our own ways. But even that, even in that, we repent and we return to you knowing that you will return in glory so that we will be with you forever. We love you so much, Jesus, and we pray this in your holy and powerful name. Amen.